Hey there, welcome to Livewire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. This week on the show, we're talking to comedian, podcaster, friend of the program, and now author, Jamie Loftus. Her first book is out. It's called Raw Dog, The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs. It's part travelogue, part culinary history. Jamie will explain how exactly you go on a cross-country road trip when you also don't actually have a driver's license. Then we've got renowned chef and author, Kenji Lopez-Alt. He's got a new book out, The Walk, Recipes and Techniques. And we're also going to quiz him on real infomercials for weird kitchen gadgets. Then we're going to round out the show with some music from a lawyer turned musician, Danielle Ponder. Sorry, legal system. We, the uh, music lovers of the world, needed Danielle over on this side of things. So that is the plan. Stick around. Livewire gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. This episode of LiveWire was originally recorded in June of 2023. We hope you enjoy it. Now let's get to the show. Hey, Elena. Ciao, Luke. How's it going? Oh, my goodness. Are you really that person now? I know you've been in Italy. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, Elena. Welcome back from being under the Tuscan sun. Are you ready to do a little station location identification examination? Si, cert. Si, si, si. Okay. This is the part where of the show where I quiz Elena on a place in America where we are on the radio. She's got to guess where I am talking about. Okay, this place uh, was where uh, scotch tape was invented. Hmm, definitely a place with a lot of people who immigrated from Scotland. I don't think of this city as being associated overwhelmingly with folks from Scotland. Speaking, though, of which uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald... Uh, was born in an apartment in this city and then later wrote the book The Side of Paradise in this place. I do believe you mean F. Scotch Fitzgerald, which <laughs> you could insert oh a joke about about his, his love of liquor here, but uh, we won't do that. I feel like I really teed that one up for you with the, the <laughs> Scott and the Scotch. Okay, you sound like you know. Where where are we talking about? Well, like all card-carrying English majors, I know <laughs> that F. Scott Fitzgerald was born in St. Paul, Minnesota. Woo-woo! Absolutely right, where we are on the radio on KNOW, Minnesota Public Radio there in the beautiful Twin Cities. So shout out to them. Uh, you ready to do this radio show? Let's do it. All right, take it away. From PRX, it's... Live Wire! 
This week, podcaster and writer Jamie Loftus. I think it's like a nasty hot dog that will make you think like, surely someone needs to answer for their crimes. (laughs) (laughs) And chef and author Kenji Lopez-Alt. That's like one of my favorite infomercial lines ever. (laughs) Stop having a boring tuna, stop having a boring life. (laughs) (laughs) With music from Daniel Ponder and our fabulous house band. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks to everyone tuning in from all over the country, including the Twin Cities out there listening to KNOW Radio. We have a great show in store for you this week. Of course, we asked the Livewire listeners a question in honor of uh, one of our guests' experience, Jamie Loftus, who wrote this book called Raw Dog about hot dogs. She drove all over the country eating hot dogs in different parts of America. The question we're asking the listeners this week is, what's your ideal road trip? We're going to have those responses coming up in a minute. First, though, it's time for the best news we heard all week. This is our little segment at the top of the program reminding us all that there is some good news happening out there in the world. Elena, what's the best news you heard all week? Well, I know we're talking about road trips this week, and I would like to take a road trip south of here to San Jose, California, because of something that happened recently. There's a gentleman named Dr. Robert Moore. He was a dean at San Jose State for many years. He's long since retired, and Dr. Robert Moore recently became a centenarian. He's now a member Whoa. of the 100-year-old club. Woohoo! And his daughter, Allison, wanted to do something special for him. And she knows he is an avowed dog lover. So she got on next door and asked her neighbors to walk their dogs past his house at a designated time so he could enjoy those dogs as like a fun community birthday present. Uh-huh. What was probably like 10 dogs showed up, 12 dogs? She was hoping for 20. So kind of ambitious. Okay. I mean, I think. But <laughs> it turns hmm. out that 250 dogs showed up. That wow. next door ask went viral. The dogs showed up with their owners in costumes. Some of them had on tuxedos. Some of them had on cowboy hats. One lady just really wanted to come. She didn't have a dog, so she just brought a stuffed dog wearing like a fuchsia fedora. (laughs) They brought cupcakes and flowers and signs and uh, just filed past his house for what I'm assuming took at least an hour, if not more. And uh, Allison says that her dad pet every single dog that passed by, which is so cute. I love this story. I love the idea of this happening. And I'm not the only one. Actually, our listener, John Mock, actually told us about this story. So thanks for letting us know about that, John. Yeah. Hat tip, John. Thank you. My best news I saw this week also involves somebody who, well, they're listed in the headline as a granddad. Granddad wins gold in arm wrestling. (laughs) But he's only 53, which the older I get, Elena, the younger granddads get, it would appear. Because... This is the story of a guy named Mark Walden. Mark Walden, um, like too many people, uh, became very ill during COVID. He actually contracted COVID, and then uh, he turned into pneumonia. He was uh, living in the UK. And um, and while he – there was a period of time that he was kind of not sure if he was going to make it. He was very, very sick. And um, luckily he pulled through. And as he was convalescing and just trying to kind of pass his time while he was still in recovery, he started watching a lot of competitive arm wrestling videos <laughs> like on his computer. 
And he got really inspired. I guess he was always like a pretty strong person. He'd always gone to the gym. I've seen a picture of him. He's a big guy. He's a buff granddad. <laughs> He's a real buff granddad. You might even call him a granddaddy. I don't know. Whoa! But he, <laughs> he decided if he you know, made a full recovery, he was going to uh, get into competitive arm wrestling. And then he started entering these arm wrestling competitions, and he was losing all the time. Oh, no. Because even though he was a big, strong person, he didn't have the specific muscle groups like in his hand and forearm that you need to be really, really top level at arm wrestling. And so he said he studied those muscle groups and started going to the gym to just work out those muscles. And he says the hardest part of his training was not even physical. It was kind of mental because he felt very silly at the gym, <laughs> like doing some kind of pinky press. Or... Yeah, I'm imagining all of his fingers having little sweatbands on, you know, like <laughs> and that, like while they do like like thumb squats yeah. or whatever. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, but he, I guess he overcame the embarrassment because he recently won two gold medals at the IFA European Championships in Finland. Whoa. Uh, he dedicates all of it to his grandkids. He's got a Aww. daughter named Grace, which is a great name. It's my daughter's name as well. And uh, she calls her granddad the Hulk. <laughs> hey, what is that like to grow up calling your granddad the Hulk? Like that's a far cry from how we regarded Farnham Burbank yeah. back in the day. We called my granddad Beepaw which I don't think, uh, well, it doesn't mean anything, but it definitely doesn't mean Hulk. <laughs> yeah, Beepaw, you know, or Peepaw, or those those are more granddaddish names right. than, than the Hulk. Hulk. But anyway, <laughs> the amazing accomplishments of Mark Walden, a buff granddad at 53. That is the best news that I heard all week. All right, let's invite our first guest on over to the show. She's an Emmy-nominated writer and comedian whose work the New York Times describes as unexpectedly gripping explorations of niche subjects. Uh, some of those niche subjects include Mensa, which is the high IQ society, although if you're in that, I didn't have to tell you. The book Lolita, which she pointed out has been misunderstood by a lot of people over time. And then also she took on the comic strip Kathy, who was actually doing a lot more than just saying, ack, and I'm a chocoholic. Uh, her latest project is the New York Times bestselling book, Raw Dog, The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs. Take a listen to this. It's our conversation with Jamie Loftus here on LiveWire. Hi, Jamie. Welcome back to the show. I'm so happy to be back. Um, it turns out that you're not only an amazing podcaster, you're an amazing writer. Um, was there a specific hot dog that you were having or like a moment where you thought, yes, uh, this, this should, nay, this must be a book about this, hot dogs? <laughs> I think it's like a nasty hot dog that will make you think like, surely someone needs to answer for their crimes. <laughs> <laughs> Because my, my dad, he's, like, sick of me repeating this in public, but he would do these really gnarly, like, boiled hot dogs mm. that was very, like, dad's around right now. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, gonna, he's about to make an attempt. And so I always, like, associated this nasty, mushy meat tube with, like, <laughs> we did it. We're a family. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really love uh, talking and thinking about hot dogs because it is like even when it's disgusting, it always feels very personal because uh, mm. most people uh, start eating them when they're very young. Mm -hmm. And it can be a very, very gross food that people will like 
absolutely die for because it reminds them of something uh, important to them. Um, can you explain what the parameters of uh, Hot Dog Summer 2021 were? You went on this road trip to just kind of experience different hot dogs in different parts of the country. And uh, also, uh, you don't have a driver's license? Yeah, no. <laughs> That seems like or a pet sitter. Right. It <laughs> seems like step one of, a, of an epic road trip would be driver's license. No, you just need a, a boyfriend. And then ah, okay. you don't need a driver's license. But yeah, no, my, my ex and myself and our, both of our animals, uh, I, I got hired to write this book um, shortly after we had been vaccinated. And about like a week into the trip, uh, the Delta variant really started kicking up. And it was like we were already kind of stuck, mm. you know. And so it was it was a very, I think like I didn't let myself process it at the time because it's such a silly reason to be outside of your home is to eat 200 <laughs> hot dogs. <laughs> but I was contractually obligated to eat 200 hot dogs. And it was like, we have to do it. We have to do it safely. And we have to do it together and I cannot drive the car. <laughs> I think a lot of these I think a lot of these public radio types and and honestly myself included Jamie are are kind of thinking like aren't hot dogs terrible like on every level for us for the animals how do you a socially conscious entertainer and writer Jamie Loftus square all of that? Well, it's uh, they're definitely bad for you. Uh, <laughs> but I mean they're uh, worse for the pig, right? Oh, yeah. Ooh. Arguably. Harder to be, yeah. I mean, I, th I think that the animals are always going to have sort of the worst deal in hot dogs. Although there are uh, an increasing number of uh, vegan and vegetarian options that don't suck. I swear. Mm. I, I've, I've wandered the earth looking for like <laughs> a, a plant-based hot dog that has the snap. You talk about the yeah. snap a lot in this book. I, I would love to meet the person who can replicate uh, animal skin breaking in your mouth with That's a plant. That's all I want. Because <laughs> that's what it is. I'm a simple man. <laughs> and I want someone to make a plant-based thing that reminds me of snapping through the innards of an animal. I I truly think that a, a vegan that could accomplish that is a real sicko. <laughs> it's a weird mission. But yeah, I mean, it's I, I try to say at the beginning of the book, like, vegans are correct, vegetarians are correct. Meat consumption is always going to be some sort of mental and ethical compromise. And so when I was researching how hot dogs are made, uh, it was about uh, 2020 and 2021, um, the meatpacking industry was going through such a horrible time during lockdown, especially because of the Trump executive order to keep meatpacking uh, plants open, which essentially that executive order, it was revealed in late 2021, possibly early 2022. That was like drafted by the CEOs of Tyson and Smithfield. Hold on. Let me sit down. <laughs> Let me sit more down. You're telling me a major agribusiness had a direct line to the Trump White House. Yes, they did. Mm. But, but it's so, I mean, it's like, that's not shocking. And then you read about the individual cases of how in, uh, individual workers and families were affected by that. And it's stuff that you that is like truly sickening to have to face on a very human level. And that's not to speak of how they treat the animals. Um, and so I think like I had to reach a point where I was really hoping by the end, I'm like, mm, I'm going to be such a good person by the time I finish writing this book, <laughs> uh -huh. I am never going to eat meat again. Like I am going to be, I'm going to go clear, <laughs> and, right. um, 
which I didn't. And I, I still don't really know why. I think that like I've never not eaten meat and it was really, I found it pretty impossible to stop. And so what I have been trying to do is to just not eat from Tyson and Smithfield and mm-hmm. try to eat uh, more ethically when I can. All right. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll say goodbye to sponsors Tyson and Smithfield. <laughs> We had a great run. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, all right, we got to take a quick break here on Livewire. Uh, we're going to be back uh, with Jamie Loftus. Her new book is Raw Dog. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay with us. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke, I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners... Uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm-hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including... Uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, And, Elena, uh, one more thing, that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm-hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Hey, welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarella. We are at the beautiful Alberta Rose Theater right here in Portland, Oregon, and we're talking to Jamie Loftus about her new book, Raw Dog, The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs. Let's get into the five hot dogs you can purchase easily in heaven. Okay. This is basically the Mount Rushmore of hot dogs that you lay out in the book, Um, and uh, we'll just kind of go through them rapid fire. Uh, Number one on the list appears to be the Costco hot dog. What is... What's so, so special about the I cost? Need to, I would like to stress easily purchase. They're not the best hot dogs. Right. They're just the ones that you can Are definitely most available. have. <laughs> um, so Costco. Costco, everyone is uh, always losing their minds every six months about how the CEO of Costco... <laughs> Threatened to kill someone. This this email, right, that comes up all the time. It was a Jim Senegal, I think, that yes. saying he's going to, like, fire the guy if the price of the hot dog and soda go up by five cents or something? He mm-hmm. says he's going to uh, 
effing murder him. Huh. <laughs> yeah. If he, which is a great story, but I always like people always send that to me, and I was like, there you got to consider the hero of this story is a billionaire CEO of Costco. Um, I also think that story was published in like Costco Connections, which is the yeah. newsletter for Costco. Which is the whole thing with like I mean hot dogs and like all sorts of marketing where you're like they're making it up and you're circulating it like you just found out Keanu Reeves was a nice guy for the first time. <laughs> like, I just, I, I, I have higher expectations of internet users, which is on me. Hmm. Uh, what about the, <laughs> what about the Home Depot hot dog? Okay, Depot dog, that's something special. Uh, so I don't actually know if, do you, does the Pacific Northwest have Depot dogs? Mm. Uh, when I was growing up, they did. And okay. the way that that little, kind of foyer area, you know what I mean? Like you're, mm-hmm. you're in the, the Home Depot, but you're not all the way in, yeah. would smell like the hot dog cart. Uh. It's so good. So they're independently owned hot dog carts outside of Home Depot. Why? Shut up. <laughs> it's great. There's like certain areas where like we do taco stands. We do like diff- there's different kinds. There's hero stands, stuff like that. But like Depot Dogs, no matter where you go, everyone is always so thrilled. And like there have been uh, state representatives that have spoken out when Depot Dog stands have closed. Because um, Home Depot after a while was like, what is going on? Like we're not getting a cut of this. And... Then public officials were like, you cannot shut down that hot dog stand. My aunt loves those hot dogs. <laughs> what about hot dog on a stick? They also make the list. They do. They may, they, because it's an easily gettable hot dog. Hot dog on a stick, you know, it's fine. It's, uh, Is it's, that where they wear the hats? That's where they wear the sexy little outfits, yeah. It's a weird one. It's just like a sexy little hot dog that comes out of sexy little muscle beach. And you eat it and you're like, nah, fine. <laughs> Uh, then you have Auntie Anne's. Yes. Auntie Anne's, fascinating. If no one knows the story of Auntie Anne, it is so wild. She grew up uh, in an Amish community in Pennsylvania. She and a number of women in her community uh, were survivors of sexual abuse from a priest in their community. No one saw this twist coming. I swear this ends with a hot dog. Uh, <laughs> have to cut the tension in the room because it is very scary. So, so there is an abusive person in their community. They speak to each other about it. They force this priest out of the community. And uh, Auntie Anne and her husband decide they want to start a community center for women who have survived sexual abuse. But they don't have any money. So Auntie Anne decides she's going to start making pretzels. <laughs> and now she's a pretzel gajillionaire. It's so... <laughs> and then she did speak at the Republican National Convention. So, mm. you know, it's comp. I, yeah, I know what your politics are. <laughs> <laughs> but it's hot dogs. Like, you gotta, yeah, I mean, exactly. it's an American story. You, <laughs> yeah. you buy the ticket, you it's take true. the ride. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> we're talking to Jamie Loftus about her book, Raw Dog. Let's talk about a place that you visited that I used to also go to Ooh. often about two in the morning when I lived in Washington, D.C., and that would be Ben's Chili Bowl, yes. home of the half smoke. Yes. Um, and uh, what, what did you think of the hot dog? And also, why was that place of particular interest to you? Oh, I mean, that business is fascinating for a number of reasons. It's uh, one of the few black-owned hot dog businesses that I covered uh, throughout my travels. There's not many, especially um, ones that have as huge an impact. There's all of this lore, like D.C.-based lore, uh, connected to Ben's Chili Bowl, where allegedly... Um, 
MLK began writing the I Have a Dream speech. <laughs> There's a lot You can't of... say that about an Auntie Anne's. Yeah. No. There, there's like all like like Stokely Carmichael was said to have gone there a lot. Like there's all of these famous uh, civil rights figures that would hang out at Ben's Chili Bowl eating a delicious hot dog that will make you poop so much, uh, <laughs> and like having the time of their lives. And they're like they're I I just think it's like really wonderful when hot dog business owners become local celebrities, mm-hmm. uh, because almost every sitting president I think since that business has been open, it's like a part of like okay I got voted into office I have to go to Ben's Chili Bowl to take a picture with this, like, chili-soaked hot dog. (laughs) And I think that that's great. I also noticed across the country, uh, Jimmy Fallon has been to every hot dog place in the entire world. Because there's a picture of him? Yeah, I was just like, go to work. I don't know. (laughs) It's, like, really bizarre. I thought you were going to say, like, Guy Fieri or something. I'll be in a random place sometime and just look up, and he'll just be there with, like, his Oakleys on backwards, just, like approving of this gas station bathroom I'm in or something. <laughs> like, like man, he's been everywhere. There is a place I went to in North Carolina that I don't know what the theming of the restaurant was before Guy Fieri went there because it seemed like the theme was Guy Fieri's been here. <laughs> <laughs> he was everywhere. Uh, you also went to the Nathan's famous uh, hot dog Hell competition. Oh my God. Uh, uh, fans wow. of uh, people dunking their hot dogs in water, water before they eat them, which is, for some reason, the part Watch that really <laughs> really upsets me about that whole process is that, you know, that's the most effective way to eat, you know, 50 hot dogs, right, is to dunk them in water first. Yes. What did you make of that whole spectacle? Oh, I hated it at first. I, I intentionally, like, went into that pretty, like you know, raw. I didn't know very much. I was like, I'm just going to let this experience wash over me and see how I feel at the end. Because it's a 10 minute long competition. And I just felt my feelings change in real time where it starts. (laughs) And it's like Joey Chestnut wins every year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he like dunk, split, chomp, chomp, swallow. He ate 76 in 10 minutes. No, you should be cheering. (laughs) (laughs) But they're like, it was so, like, I started off so not on his side. I was like, this is, this should be illegal. And then at some point in the middle, I was like, no, this is a sport. And and then the guy on ESPN, I will never forget, like, you can check the 2021 broadcast, said that Joey Chestnut eats hot dogs the way Ernest Hemingway wrote novels. Yes. With no adjectives? (laughs) That guy, the the guy who announces them, he's this PR guy from New York, and he, like, inherited this little kind of not particularly notable, like, hot dog eating competition, and then in, I think he wanted to be a writer, right? He did, yeah. So he now gets out all of his sort of writerly instincts in how he describes the competitive eaters. It's so intense, yeah. It's this guy, George Shea, who I think is made his living kind of being like, I'm the Vince McMahon of hot dogs. Yeah. And you're like, well, I hate that. Like, <laughs> don't want that. But it's like, has the showmanship of uh, Vince McMahon and also a lot of the things that people hate about Vince McMahon uh, because there's he has this whole history, as does this contest, of really uh, making and breaking, like, lives have been ruined. I'm a huge fan of uh, Takeru Kobayashi, mm-hmm. the greatest hot dog eater to ever do it. Um, and he was, like, really, really screwed over by, mm. uh, by George Shea and by Major League Eating uh, for reasons that were... That's the name of the What's league. What's so funny? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it is called Major League Eating, and we can laugh about that. <laughs> but uh, Kobayashi was this amazing eater who came over from Japan, popularized uh, the hot dog eating contest, mm -hmm. is a huge reason that it was on ESPN and all this other stuff. And then uh, once there was a white American champion in the form mm -hmm. of Joey Chestnut to present a challenge, uh, George Shea and Major League Eating did everything they could to make Kobayashi's deals worse and worse and worse wow. until he was essentially forced out of the sport. Mm. I feel so strongly about it. And uh, not to mention that the women's contest is still broadcast on ESPN3, which makes me want to shove my hand in a garbage disposal. Like, why is that? And, and Shay is the one who made it split by gender. It used to be that women would be in the hot dog eating contest along with the men, right? Yeah, everyone eats food. Like, <laughs> it's so weird that it's split like that. But yeah, that was an intentional decision by George Shea in 2011 huh. to split the contest. And originally, um, the women competitors were told at a tea party he threw for them because he's a bit evil. Mm. So he threw them this tea party said, you're going to be on ESPN3 now. Uh, the men's prize is still $10,000. Yours is $2,500 now. And here's this new pink belt we got you. Right, the belt oh, is pink. Nice. <laughs> right. It's technically the Pepto-Bismol belt, but it was still a huge, like, <laughs> I mean, what I think is so interesting about this book and even about this conversation we're having, Jamie, is that this the hot dog seems like this kind of just silly thing that, you know, we consume mindlessly, and yet we've already touched into like two or three really big cultural things around gender and and class and all of the stuff that's tied up in it. Mm -hmm. Because it's so uh, sort of inherently American at this point, it also brings with it all of the weirdness of this country, right? Yeah, it's a it's a, like a symbol, and we're told that it's a very American symbol, but like, why? Who did right. that? And what does an American, like an American symbol, is that a good thing? <laughs> like, right. Do we have to feel good about that? And I, I tried to explore it from every way that I could because I love hot dogs still. They're the best. Uh, <laughs> I can and have talked about them for hours on end and I will continue to. But there's also so many uh, things about you know hot dogs that uh, are connected to yeah like systems of exploitation and oppression in America. And also uh, people have sex on the Wienermobile. So there's a lot going on. Uh -huh. <laughs> Jamie Loftus everyone. The book is Raw Dog. That was Jamie Loftus right here on Livewire, recorded at the Alberta Rose Theater here in Portland. Her new book, Raw Dog, The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs, is available now. Special thanks this episode to Mark and Jamie Luce of Muckle T.O. Washington. Mark and Jamie are part of the Livewire member community, and they are generously supporting our show with a donation each month, and we are very thankful for that because it is genuinely what allows us to keep Livewire going. So a big thanks to Mark and Jamie out there in Muckleteo, Washington. Our next guest is a chef and also a wildly popular New York Times food columnist. Uh, and he's the best-selling author of The Food Lab... He's the host of the YouTube series Kenji's Cooking Show, which has over a million subscribers. And his latest cookbook is The Walk, Recipes and Techniques. It's available now. Uh, this is our conversation recorded at Town Hall in Seattle with Kenji Lopez-Alt here on LiveWire.
Hi. Kenji. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Now, you're one of those classic chefs that studied architecture at MIT. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> when did you actually get into food? So I started getting into food um, the, the summer after my sophomore year of college when I was quitting biology because because uh, I took organic chemistry and I hated that. Yep. Uh, so th- that summer I was, I was going through this, you know, what am I going to do with my career? Uh, and so I, I needed to make money. So I was looking for a job as a server uh, and then a restaurant I walked into was like, uh, well, we, ha- we have a prep cook who didn't show up this morning. So if you can start today, you can have a job as a cook for the summer. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> uh, and do that's when I started cooking. Do you remember what you were doing in oh, those yeah. first days in the kitchen? Yeah, I remember the, my very first day when I, um, I... So the question they asked me was, do you know how to hold a knife? And I said, yes, but I didn't really. Um, <laughs> and I was, I was slicing oranges for the bar, and the, one of the prep cooks comes over to me and like, like just like stands there shaking his head. <laughs> and so he showed me how to hold a knife properly and how to slice an orange, and I had to practice on a lot of oranges... Yeah, it was it was at it was at like a it was at a all you can eat Mongolian grill type oh, place. Yeah. And, is that the kind with yeah. the big the big grill where you bring the bowl of your stuff and exactly. they just yeah, put yeah, it on yeah, a yeah. section of yeah, the grill? It's like pre pre COVID days. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you oh, go yeah. to you go to the raw meat bar where everyone's like poking around. Oh yeah. Whatever. Oh, yeah. And then um, I started as a prep cook, and within two weeks I was a knight of the round grill. So whoa, wow. and that was your title. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then after, after working in restaurants, that's when I started to sort of get into eating food. And I was like, oh, this is like interesting. Be- be- before that, I was a pretty picky eater, um, especially like going out at restaurants. I didn't want anything interesting. Um, and so I started learning how to cook. And then I was like, oh, this is a whole new world of stuff to appreciate. And then got into food after that. Your grandfather was a chemist? Organic chemist. Yeah. Now, do you feel... <laughs> do you feel... Uh, do you feel like that sort of in your DNA that you were programmed to want to really get into food on a, a more kind of molecular and scientific level? <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think um, interest in science is like no. genetically passed that's down. Epi- that's not epiphenomenal. <laughs> but, but, you know, but, um, but certainly like my, my grandfather was a chemist and my dad was a biologist. And so there's a lot of sort of science conversation at, at the dinner table. So, um, so in that sense, yeah, I think it definitely got passed down to some degree. Your first cookbook was this huge hit. What do you uh, attribute that to? Was it just that you were able to help people understand how to make some relatively simple stuff just a lot better using science? No, I mean, I think, I think a lot of it is like being in the right place at the right time, just like being really lucky. Uh, when I started cooking, um, there wasn't really, I mean, there was an internet, but there wasn't even like YouTube, anything like that. Um, and then, uh, you know, and so I, I learned how to cook in restaurants and then, and then I went into the writing world and then I kind of, I kind of came along the writing world uh, and, and my, my career as a writer kind of paralleled uh, the shift from paper to online media um, and got really lucky to um, fall into like that, those early sets of like sort of food blogs that became popular and finding a platform on Serious Eats. You know, the, the, as far as the book goes, the way I thought about it was that, you know, I didn't come into cooking until much later in my life compared to a lot of chefs I know, you know, who like maybe they had parents who cooked or they have the food of their people. And, you know, it's like I didn't come into food that way. I came into it as like a summer job uh, and then I wanted to learn about it. You know, so for me as a cook in restaurants, like I, I did have a lot of questions about like why things worked the way they did and whether I could make my life easier by if I did it a slightly different way. You know, so when I wrote that first book, I was kind of thinking, yeah, if somebody wrote a book for me when I was 19 or whatever and wanted to like not waste so much time um, poorly peeling boiled eggs, uh, what, what would that book look like? And so that's, that's what that first book kind of was. What's the key to effectively peeling boiled eggs? You, you start them in hot 
water. So like it's that's science. Like, yeah, I mean like thousands of eggs worth of, of testing on this. Yeah, yeah. You heard it here first on Livewire. <laughs> okay, I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We're talking to Kenji Lopez-Alt, the uh, food writer and YouTube host about his latest book. It's uh, called The Walk, Recipes, and Techniques. Um, now, is it true that your interest in The Walk really came from seeing an infomercial about kitchen <laughs> gadgets or something? Uh, it was an infomercial about walks, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Specifically walks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what were they doing on there that, that you found compelling? <laughs> Uh, well, it was, a, it was like a very British guy um, uh, calling it the Great Walk of China. Oh, nice. Uh, and, um, Casually uh, racist. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of steaming when there was supposed to be stir-frying going. Um, but um, the selling point of this walk was that it was like hand-hammered, and they showed this footage of like, of like where, they were, where, where the people were making the walks in, the, in, in these factories, and they're like hammering them into tree stumps to mold them. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. But anyhow, uh, I, I, I watched a lot of infomercials as a kid, um, and, and that one always kind of st- stuck out to me as like, oh, we actually have this one in our kitchen. When in your cooking life, once you, you know, realize this is what you wanted to do, and you're starting to really look into food and write about food, did you start to use a walk more? The walk was one of the few things that my, you know, my mom cooked a lot of, she came here from Japan, she cooked a lot of Japanese and, and sort of uh, Sino-Japanese food in um, a wok. Um, but I, you know, I bought myself a wok when I was in college, so um, like right after I started cooking. Um, so I, I bought it, uh, yeah, I bought it at a Target in Somerville um, <laughs> for 20 bucks. And that same wok, um, up until this book was published in March, and that wok was like fully functional until like April. So. Wow. The one you a, bought at Target, yeah, trying like to get years. So, I mean, because I, I cooked for you know, it's like I cooked in college. I cooked um, like when I was after college, living with roommates, and you know, like when it was just me and my wife, and like every every stove I've ever had, like at least sixty percent of the time, like there's that wok was sitting on it. You know, like this entire book, there's only like one or two recipes that call for anything other than just a wok on a stovetop. Um, and so, you know, whether you're learning how to cook or whether you're you're trying to learn a new style of cooking or familiarize yourself with a very ancient and um, well-researched style of cooking. It's, it's, it's a cheap investment. I, like a lot of folks, bought a wok at some point, mm-hmm. tried it a few times. It never gave me, or I never got the effect I was going for. didn't taste like the stuff I had been eating in a restaurant that was cooked in a wok. Right. What are people like me probably doing kind of wrong in that scenario? Well, so a couple things. Um, the, you know, the first one is that... Um, <laughs> like, how much more time in the show do we have for me to list the ways you're bad at this, Burbank? No, no. So the first one I think is that, is that you're, um, you're, trying to, you're trying to get exactly what you get at a restaurant, you know, which is... It's, it's, a goal, it's, it's an achievable goal, um, but it's not necessarily, I think, the first goal you should have with the wok, you know, um, and particularly, like, ones that have, like, a lot of, like, wok hay, like the, the smoky, like, getting the flame in there. Like, that's a, that's a technique that takes some practice and also some specialized equipment to do at a restaurant scale. Um, and, you know, and then that said, in, in the book, I talk about a few ways you can try and get some of those restaurant flavors. Um, so, in particular, like, a lot of it comes down to cooking in smaller batches, mm. um, and um, instead of trying to do what 
they do on the infomercial, like where you just right. add like t- tons and tons of stuff until it's like all the way right. to the top and just steaming. That was literally exactly what I did. <laughs> I probably bought, you know, like $40 worth of like vegetables, meats and everything. And it was like, it was for an army. And yeah, I'm just yeah. like, ah, <laughs> my, my bird-like arms can't even like toss this thing <laughs> on my dorm stove. <laughs> uh, we're talking to Kenji Lopez-Alt about uh, his latest book, The Walk, Recipes and Techniques. Okay. Now, as you mentioned in the book, and as we've been talking about, your kind of first little bit of interest in the walk was from an infomercial mm-hmm. advertising it. Um, and so we wanted to test your knowledge of some other infomercials okay. about culinary contraptions. Okay. This is a game we're calling Inspect Your Gadgets. Okay, yeah. Inspect Your Gadgets. <laughs> All right. Um, the Live Wire House Band, by the way. <laughs> Now, uh, here's how this is going to work, Kenji. Uh, okay. I'm going to play you a snippet of an actual infomercial. Okay. And all you right. have to and try all food to... food-related. These are all... Yeah, these, okay. are, these are infomercials yeah. for, for, like, food-based items. Okay. Okay, things in the kitchen. Okay, so here's the first one. What do you think this is an infomercial for, real food thing? I used to use a fork. Get the fork out of here. Now you just grip it, dip it, flip it. And the best part is your, your fingers, fingers stay clean. Um, jeez, is that um? I don't know. Is it is it is it for like uh sh- like like shredding barbecue? Claws? You know, the, this would work with that. This is for a product, a real thing called trongs. Oh, okay. Trongs are these little like you know those like um wax like vampire teeth you mm. get when you're a kid, like you know for mm-hmm. Halloween. They're like that, but you put them on your fingers, yeah. and they're made of like food safe, oh, like right. plastic. And when you're eating hot wings or something, the juice doesn't get on your actual <laughs> fingers. It gets on the trongs. Okay. And the, if you watch the full ad, the guy literally says, have you ever been eating wings? And then you realize you can't shake anyone's hand. Yeah. Aww. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a product that was created when a person realized that he couldn't shake enough hands immediately after eating wings. Right, because... because <laughs> Because when you when you see the guy eating wings with yeah. trongs on their fingers, you don't you, you yeah. don't go close enough to shake their hand. Right, exactly. <laughs> it solves the problem, but not in the intended way. Right. All right, trongs were the most obscure. Okay? okay, that was the hardest one, probably. Okay. So this one was a little more widely embraced. This is another actual uh, snippet of an infomercial for a food product. This thing, this tuna, looks boring. Stop Ooh, yeah. having a boring tuna. Stop, Stop having, having a boring, a boring life. life. <laughs> Add this tuna. Put it here like this. Whoa. Now you're gonna have you're gonna a love nice my nuts. tuna hey. salad. Look at this. You're gonna have an exciting life now. Who is that? This and is the slap chop. It is absolutely the slap chop. That's that's like one of my favorite infomercial lines ever. <laughs> Stop having a boring tuna. Stop having a boring life. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that I'm is, of so course, impressed. that's Vince, right? Yeah, that he guy went, was went to jail for biting someone, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. right. No, that's in, right. in fairness, he, he grabbed them with his trunks. Uh, <laughs> was actually later the court was fine. You should have slap chopped them. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. That, that, that whole ad is like riddled with entendre, like you said, Kenji. Like he's like chopping up nuts and he's like, you're going to like my nuts. Yep. He was like the bad boy of infomercials, Vince. <laughs> I bought a slap chop. Yeah, how'd it work? Terribly. The problem was, so if, if you weren't familiar... Life is it, still boring. Right? It was kind of, <laughs> the tuna was the least of my problems. <laughs> the problem was the thickness 
of the blade. Yeah. It was not a blade. It was a flat piece of metal that was like a quarter inch <laughs> thick. So it just would mash. I mean, it made the tuna more boring. Yeah. <laughs> Impossibly. But it's the only one of those things I've ever purchased because the ads were that convincing mm. to me. I thought it was really going to change my life. Okay. Here comes another one. Can you identify this? Are you tired of fussing with giant pasta pots, strainers, timers, stirring, and testing just for a plate of pasta? Well, I've got the solution for you. Hi. I'm Kathy Buddy. I have to finish that line because she was the lady doing all of the infomercials for a while. <laughs> Kathy Buddy. Hmm. <laughs> Is it a, um, a spaghetti-shaped thermometer that you throw at the ceiling? Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> That is a million-dollar idea. Yeah. Yeah. That is not what this is, but that, my friend, is a million. This is why you have 500,000 Instagram followers. No, yeah. it is a pasta boat. Okay. It was a boat-shaped thing that you would put pasta in and water and then put it in the microwave. Oh, geez. And microwave all of your pasta. Nice. I think David Chang sells that now. Yeah. Isn't that just a bowl? Like... <laughs> no, Elena. Bowls are cumbersome, and they fall out of the cupboard on you. <laughs> As for some reason, the screen turns to black and white for that section. Like, the easiest thing that we've all been doing, but now if you just film it right, it looks like it's the bane of everyone's existence. Black and white. Um, Have you ever bought a, like, one of these extremely kind of silly kitchen gadgets? You know, I was just remembering, like, a month ago of a time when we tested a bunch of, like, the most ridiculous uh, hamburger products you could find. So there's one called the hot dogger where you where it's like a hot dog shaped mold so you can put hamburger into it and shape it like a hot dog. And it's like if, if you run out of hamburger buns but you still have hot dog buns. Um, Honestly, that's a good idea. Uh, Kenji Lopez Alt, the new book is The Walk: Recipes and Techniques. Thanks for coming on Livewire. Thanks. Thanks for having me. That was Kenji Lopez-Alt right here on LiveWire. His latest book is The Walk, Recipes, and Techniques. This is LiveWire from PRX. We've got to take a very quick break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, we are going to hear some truly incredible music from Danielle Ponder. Stay with us. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. As we do each week, of course, we've asked our listeners a question. Uh, in honor of the uh, book Raw Dog by Jamie Loftus, where she road trips around the country, we asked our listeners, what's your ideal road trip? Elena has been collecting up those responses. What are you seeing? This is an ambitious one from Justin. Hmm. My goodness. Okay. Justin says the ideal road trip involves my besties, impeccable Wi-Fi, edibles, a karaoke machine, <laughs> board and card games, mimosas, a lit charcuterie board, and any destination as long as there is a self-driving car. 
<laughs> wow. I think Justin needs to look into a party bus. Yeah, I think he might be describing. That's what's being yeah. described. Yeah, and and a chauffeur maybe might do a little better than a self-driving car with all the antics that are happening on that <laughs> epic road trip. Yeah, definitely make sure you've got somebody or some other machine driving that thing. Uh, what's another dream road trip for one of our listeners? Well, uh, Tanvi's ideal road trip is one with someone I love who doesn't mind taking a bunch of detours to check out random attractions. Bonus points if I get to control the music and double bonus points if they don't make me drive. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like people fall into one of two categories, uh, which is the enjoyment of a road trip is not having to be the driver or it's not enjoyable if you can't be the driver. And I am definitely more on the control freak side of things. Well, when David and I road trip from Austin to Oregon, I never touched the steering wheel. I think this, the key to doing that is to be such a bad driver, someone would rather drive 2,200 <laughs> miles solo than have you behind the wheel. But you enjoy getting to just be like ride along. I think on TikTok, they call that passenger princess. Yeah. And also I I like to travel with my cats. So there's often Ah. like cats to wrangle (laughs) while that's happening. (laughs) All right. Thank you to everyone who wrote in with answers to our question. We got another listener question for next week's show coming up in just a minute. All right, before we get to our musical guests, a little preview of next week's show. We are going to be talking to New York Times Magazine writer Jay Wortham about the two times that they saw Beyonce in concert, uh, one time as a journalist, uh, the other time as a civilian, um, and that they may have had a little too much fun on the civilian side. Uh, We're also going to talk to the author Curtis Sittenfeld about her newest novel. It's called Romantic Comedy. It's set in like a fictionalized version of Saturday Night Live, but then it sort of flips the script on the celebrity stories that we hear about, you know, where like a famous actress marries the head writer of a sketch comedy show that thing that seems to happen a lot uh we're not looking at you colin jost then we've got music from the fabulous margot silker she's going to tell us about how she played in a lucinda williams cover band in the basque country of spain and as always we are going to be looking to get your answers to our listener question elena what are we asking the live wire listeners for next week's show Oh, I can't wait to hear the responses to this one. We want you to tell us what you think is the most romantic movie moment of all time. Oh, man. There's a lot that could be on that list. And I'm sure everyone has a different take on that, right? Yeah, like somebody's going to say Nosferatu. (laughs) If you would like to tell us your (laughs) unlikely choice or likely choice for most romantic movie moment of all time, hit us up. On social media, we are at Livewire Radio most places. This is Livewire from PRX. Our musical guest this week turned to a career in law after her brother received a 20-year three-strikes prison sentence. She served as a public defender in her hometown of Rochester, New York. But this whole time, she was still playing music in numerous bands and eventually took a leap of faith to leave the public defender's office and focus on her songwriting. Written and recorded over three years, her mesmerizing debut album, which is called Some of Us Are Brave, received critical acclaim and has earned her new fans all over the country. This is Danielle Ponder, right here on LiveWire. First of all, thank you to both of you for flying all the way out here from Rochester, New York, today to do this. We appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having us. What song are we going to hear? I'm going to do this song called So Long, which is a song I wrote 
uh, when I went to L.A. and felt like I, I didn't belong and kind of had imposter syndrome. And like most of my songs, it was what I needed to survive the moment. Um, and I dedicate this to all artists and creatives who might feel like it's too late for them. I signed my first record deal at 39. Woo! I did my, thank you. <laughs> my first U.S. tour was at 40, and um, here I am now. So, uh, yes, caught so long. This is Danielle Ponder with Avis Reese here on LiveWire. Danielle Ponder here on Livewire. Her album, Some of Us Are Brave, is available now. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the show. A huge thanks to our guests, Jamie Loftus, Kenji Lopez-Alt, and Danielle Ponder. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. And our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Eben Hoffer and Molly Pettit are our technical directors, and our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. 
Trey Hester is our assistant editor. Our marketing production manager is Karen Pan. Rosa Garcia is our operations associate. And Jackie Ibarra is our production fellow. Our house band is Ethan Fox Tucker, Sam Tucker, A.L. Alves, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music. This episode was mixed by Molly Pettit and Trey Hester. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission, a state agency funded by the state of Oregon and the National Endowment for the Arts. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank members Mark and Jamie Luce of Muckleteo, Washington. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And If you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.